the tenderness of that seep in. So thank you very much. And I did need to come up here so you guys had something to go home with when you leave today. So uh, again, I'm Reverend Megan Dake Morell. I'm standing in today for our senior minister, uh, Debbie, Reverend Debbie uh, McDonnell. She's not Reverend Debbie Dake Morell. Um, <laughs> uh, who is in Spain right now enjoying uh, her thriving children. Uh, her son's on the basketball team in Spain, and she's gone to be with him and watch him play. So, um, hello, Reverend Debbie, if you're listening to this on podcast. Um, we're, uh, this month, we chose Longing for Belonging, and we each got to pick our own topics to talk to. And so, Reverend Debbie has so far chose the beginning of the uh, month, she chose Pick Me. And then the second week was the path of transformation. And we're using it um, on the backdrop of Brene Brown's book, Braving the Wilderness. So today, um, in thriving in the wilderness as our true selves. <laughs> I, I loved the topic when it crossed my mind and I chose it. And then I sat down and thought, what were you thinking? <laughs> because I know authenticity stuff it, it, my wife keeps telling me it's your jam it's what you do it's what you stand for everybody being themselves just go up there and rock it um, and ministerial school teaches you to plot out your paper right to write and write so I've written probably about 15 pages half of them are references from her book and I was telling Denise today, I keep having this voice inside of me. Just go up there and talk. Just talk. Don't try to get these notes in an order because they keep rearranging themselves. And there's a point to me telling you this because to stand up here and just talk puts me in this incredibly vulnerable place. Because I don't know if I'm going to do it perfectly if I partner with the divine and just kind of let it flow through me, right? So I risk all these kind of implied judgments just by being willing to stand up here and fly free of my notes. I also know that I'm here on purpose, that each one of you are here on purpose, that it all works together. And there is no way on some level that I can fail just standing up here and being open with you today. So I'm going to do a little bit of both. Because um, I really think that this isn't just about helping you or me be comfortable in your life so that you can do a moderate amount of thriving and feeling great about living. This is about being us, each one of us, in a very important time on the planet. A time with, while well, there's this appearance of even more separation and more pooling and partying one against the other, there's that whole thing happening where people are sticking in these puddles of other people that agree with them on issues, but they're totally surrendering themselves for that sense of belonging about an issue. So we're separating and abandoning ourselves 
for this sense of belonging as this division occurs. So to me, it's incredibly important to somehow speak in the world that inspires a listening of the voice inside of us, a listening to it, and not just listening to it, but expressing it. But even more than that, and I don't, how many of you have actually read or picked up the book, Braving the Wilderness? Um, uh, I strongly encourage you to get that book no matter how you can, even if you just got a synopsis of it. At the end of the service today, although it's up there in the printer, someone, maybe one of the ushers, when you bring the money up, you can bring what's in the printer down. I have put the... Uh, acronym BRAVING and the, the tenets of BRAVING the Wilderness that Brene Brown has in her book. And I encourage you to at least pick that up um, after the service. And after I'm done, you'll see why. Um, it's an incredibly important book because she talks to us about healing that sense of disconnectedness with ourselves, but also in doing so. We don't stop there. We heal our disconnectedness with each other by showing up and by being real. Doing what we can. I want her, her um, research. She, she asked people four questions. I didn't want to write the questions down because I was already at eight pages. So get the book if you want to know what the research questions were. She did extensive research to, for four questions and she came up with, <coughs> excuse me, the four elements, which I would say these are four invitations that she makes in the book. And I'm gonna cuss because she's cussing and I'm okay with that, I hope you are too. People are hard to hate close up, move in. That means when we know each other on a personal level, there are things we do for and with and around each other that go underneath and behind our political beliefs our prejudices, our biases, when we take uh, each other to the hospital or care for somebody's failing nephew or relative, at that point, that connection, it doesn't matter. You're close. You're not back in group mode hating that group. It's very hard to hate people close up to them when you know just a little about them, when you take the time. Speak truth to bullshit. Be civil. So each one of these has kind of a directive and then an invitation on how to do it in a way that continues to nurture and encourage belonging. So speaking truth to bullshit could alienate people, could it not? You see somebody kind of BSing you and you speak up to it, they could be alienated, but what if you took the time to be civil? So. Speak truth to BS, be civil. Hold hands with strangers. She, in this, this part of the book, she's talking about, so each one of these is also a chapter, but in this part of the book, she's talking about shared grief and joy. That there is a way that we connect at funerals, weddings, baptisms, those times where there is a central focus 
and um, some sort of uh, ritual or gathering together, rallies, all those kinds of things connect us in, in a, a mutual way. Um, so she encourages us, we're being encouraged and invited to attend funerals, honoring uh, the grief, honoring the loss, honoring the life and the celebration together. Um, same for weddings, same for um, any kind of honoring a child. And the fourth one, strong back, soft front, wild heart. So the strong back, having a spine, standing up. We stand up because we have a spine that rests on two legs. But we have to remain soft in the front and open, receptive, vulnerable, connective. But we don't stand for bullshit. To not, uh, to speak truth, to BS, you have to have a spine. You have to have a back. And to do it in a way that is civil requires somewhat of a soft front. And that soft front requires a certain amount of faith, requires a certain amount of certainty that, yes, we are all connected, and we're all in various states of forgetting how connected we are, that there is just one thing happening here. So in The Gifts of Imperfection, she describes belonging, Brene Brown, belonging is the innate desire, human desire, to be part of something larger than us. And I know Reverend Debbie read some of this, but I'm reading it in a different context today. Because this yearning is so primal, we often try to acquire it by fitting in, by seeking approval, which are not only hollow substitutes for belonging, but barriers to it. Because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic, imperfect selves to the world, our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. What I got from a lot of the material I read and the writing I did, that self-acceptance in this is key. If we're practicing religious scientists, there's an even greater palette that goes in there with the self-acceptance that's not just about accepting our foibles, our human failings, and our talents. It's also about accepting the truth of who we are, that our essential essence is light, life, joy, beauty, peace, power, and love. That the truth of who we are is all those things. And when we're behaving or thinking or accepting from the outside anything less than that, then we've entered some level of separation. Again, something that Reverend Debbie mentioned, uh, I think it was either last week or the week before, that there's just a level of separation happening. And we need to reconnect Self-abandonment is that thing that's happening when you see an injustice or one is occurring towards you and you don't speak to it, you don't stand for it. When you have an inclination to speak, to stand for someone else 
who you see it happening to and you don't speak for it. You're not just abandoning that person. You're abandoning yourself. The self is showing up with an urge to act, to speak, to do something. And when we repress it, we have left the scene. We have denied God's urging in us. I have a story about that that kind of takes us on a little different track and it's about my friend, a dear friend, who um, has since moved out of the area. And she uh, is quite the gal. I have a collection of eccentrics in my midst and I delight in them. And she was no different, uh, vivacious, creative, um, and sometimes quiet, instantly invisible. And I always marveled at how she got picked for things and um, how she was kind of ah, happy-go-lucky and things. And as I got to know her, I was surprised by her sense that she wasn't seen, that she wasn't appreciated, that she often felt left alone or not chosen, or if she was chosen, it's just because they wanted to use her, you know, because she always said yes. And then she would start to talk to me about some of the dynamics she was involved in. And I noticed that her mantra, whether she, she didn't consider it a mantra, she didn't hear it until I said something later, but her mantra was, you know, I was going to say, well, I was going to say, but I just kind of shut up. When they did that, I wanted to, did you? That would have been perfect. No, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm. And eventually I found myself being frustrated because I realized that her own participation in her own invisibility, and she couldn't see it, right? She constantly suppressed her involvement. And I said, do you know why you're doing this? Why are you keeping quiet? Well, I don't want to raise you know, any ruckus. Now, these things that she was excluding from her conversation weren't things that most of us would like oust somebody for. But she had so convinced herself that going against the flow of anything was going to spotlight her and kind of pluck her out and make her separate. So what did she do? She plucked herself out by suppressing her voice, by not participating, by believing that she had to surrender herself to feel a part of, to feel included and belonged, belonging. So we had several conversations. I came out of the closet with my frustration. It's really frustrating to hear you suppress yourself all the time and then complain about not being seen or heard. And she started to speak up. Sometimes at meetings, she, she started to do the thing of showing up. 
And an amazing thing started to happen. First of all, she never talks like that anymore. I never hear it. And it's not because she's hidden the voice. Her whole, the face of her whole life has shifted. She's um, completely changed jobs. She's doing a lot of writing and speaking up. And she doesn't ever feel hidden. Her shoulders are actually back further now. And she connected with her own accountability. <coughs> Excuse me, with belonging. There's my water. I'm longing for my water. Um, thank you. So it's that self-alienation that cut her off from the community. It's that leaving her voice behind in honor to be included, in honor of being included, in honor of fitting in. And lo and behold, she didn't fit in with herself. She didn't belong to herself anymore. She belonged to everybody else, but not in the way we want to belong to everybody else. We don't want the currency to be that which we came to be. We don't want the currency to be our voice. As we start agreeing to show up in this life, as we start using the tools here, affirmative prayer, affirming the truth of who we are, anything that's not that truth, I guarantee you will show up because you're shining a great light on your inner furniture. And all the things you trip over in trying to uh, exemplify and express your brilliance will be the beliefs that you need to move out of your way. But today I still want to stay focused on belonging so fully to yourself that you're willing to stand alone. That is what Brene Brown calls the wilderness. An untamed, unpredictable place of solitude and searching. It is a place as dangerous as it is breathtaking. A place as sought after as it is feared. The wilderness can often feel unholy because we can't control it or what people think about our choice of whether to venture into that vastness or not. But it turns out to be the place of true belonging. And it's the bravest, most sacred place you will ever stand. So I had an experience of my own wilderness and a wonderful sense of belonging with myself recently. Um, probably within the last year, I'd say. And it was a wonderful hallmark for me that I was finally getting some of this stuff. So I was in a situation asking somebody for some feedback, some support. And they said to me, Oh, you're too sensitive. You're just too sensitive. And I said, what? Now, I have heard you're too sensitive, you're too intense, you're too, 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 for a very long time. My own inner voice is, you're too fat, you're too talkative, you're too whatever. 
you take too long, I've got them inside as well. But I have been working on that nothing is too much. Everything is what it is, right? It is what it is. The rest of it's our story about it. So this person came to me, and, and they expressed themselves. <laughs> You're just too sensitive. And I was stunned because I stopped for a minute and I was inclined to go to that place that agreed with them. I have one of those. Oh, they're right. Darn, there I go again. But instead, my belongingness showed up. And I said, you know, I'm just sensitive enough. And that's not a problem for me. If it's a problem for you, is there a way I can help you with that? And I thought, I did it. I got over the hump. I was not going to take the BS that was coming towards me. And as I kind of mulled this over and worked it over in my brain, I realized that to be civil with that feedback and accountable, the only thing the person needed to do really was add on two words at the end of what they were expressing towards me. You're too sensitive for me. When we add for me on the end of anything that we say to somebody about who they are and what they are, we automatically make it okay for them to still be them. And we own that we are making a measurement and a value judgment towards them. Can you see that? For me. If I say, for me. In order for me to be in that position, I had to begin taking my own feelings seriously. I had to begin paying attention to my own sense of abandonment. I had to be willing to be aware of when I was leaving the scene and backing down and not going to any kind of judgment. I don't know anybody that's changed behavior over the long term by beating themselves to death. And, and frankly, if somebody else beat them to death, it didn't change their behavior. They just continued to get beat up, right? So, so beating ourselves doesn't work. Perhaps being available to ourselves will. I, uh, uh, meditation on Insight Timer, uh, which has become my new best friend, one of the talks, the woman has you in five minutes reconnect with yourself, and one of the chief exercises she does in, here, in this uh, quick recording is have you hear what you're saying. Like, suddenly separate from the litany of pain or thinking, that's painful thinking that's going on, and, and offer to yourself, that sounds hard. And while... Sitting in this room, it may be hard to conceive of that, but there's a magical thing that happens when you suddenly decide to be one of the voices that supports you. When you suddenly decide that you're going to listen to your own pain and just let it be there and not, feel, not go to broken, not go to wrong, but just meet yourself there. Because what happens is the pain dissipates. 
I talk in classes about our attention being this golden beam. I talk about it in here at the pulpit too. Our attention is the currency that we have that changes our world. What we pay attention to expands. When you turn your attention on your own pain, it's not going to expand. When you let it just be the size that it is, it starts to dissipate. Because you've suddenly left room for the divine in you to also show up. We don't do anything alone. We don't even witness our own pain alone. There is something witnessing it with us. And the thriving in us, the drive to be love, the drive to be courage and faith and understanding, the drive to be light, life, joy, peace, power, and beauty is bigger than any pain you could ever have because it's the truth of who you are. And when you aim the truth of who you are at hosting any other condition you're sensing in yourself, change happens. And that's not like a possibility, that's a promise. That's a 100% promise. You, each of you, me, we are all here on purpose. And everything we do and everything we think impacts not just us, not just the future, but the person next to us. It has impact in all directions. You are divine presence. You are absolutely powerful in whatever direction you aim your attention. And so, because I won't have time to go over the long version of braving, I do encourage you to pick up um, the sheets that I've printed out for you if you're curious about them. I can go over the uh, trusting yourself version of them. On one side, there is trusting others. And on another side, there is the trusting yourself. And it's important that I get these out after everything I've said. She gives us a guideline for how to kind of, what to hold on to as we learn to show up, as we learn to stand for ourselves and not tolerate stuff coming towards us and to do it with civility. She uses the word braving. Did I respect my own boundaries, B, boundaries? Was I clear about what's okay and what's not okay? R, was I reliable? Did I do what I said I was going to do? A, did I hold myself accountable? V, did I respect the vault and share appropriately? In other words, did I keep confidences? I, did I act from integrity? N, did I ask for what I needed? Was I non-judgmental about needing help? And G, was I generous towards myself? And that self-compassion, that being available for yourself is part of being generous. There was so much here, so much I was gonna try to shove in this tw tiny 20 minutes. Um, that uh, I would just love it if you decided to pick the book up. I think everybody should have exposure to this material. And I think these are important times. So I'm just going to quote a few 
of our sages as I bring this to an end, and I'll end it with Ernest Holmes. But first, I do dearly love the uh, dialogue between Bill Moyers and Maya Angelou in the book. Bill Moyers says, do you belong anywhere? And she says, I haven't yet. Do you belong to anyone? More and more. I mean, I belong to myself. I'm very proud of that. I'm very concerned about how I look at Maya. I like Maya very much. I like the humor and courage. Very, I like the humor and courage very much. And when I find myself acting in a way that isn't, well, that doesn't please me, then I have to deal with that. And then Winston Churchill, courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. Courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. Ralph Waldo Emerson, every man has his own courage and is betrayed because he seeks in himself the courage of other persons. And finally, our founder, Ernest Holmes, my hero about individualization and being here on purpose. In The Art of Life, he says, remember that the power is in you. It is itself as you. The more you live, the more completely it is expressed through you. The self-surrender necessary for a more complete outlet to this power is not a surrender of the individuality or of the true self. It is merely a surrender of the false self to the true self. Bless you. Thank you.